As you remember in our scripture reading, that between Matthew at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 is Luke chapter 2. And so now we're going to pick up here the visit of what is commonly known as the wise men or the magi. And you'll notice in Matthew 2 verse 1, the New American Standard says magi from the east. And if you have a little note, side reference, bottom reference, or a middle column reference, you'll note that it says that this was a cast of wise men specializing in astronomy and astrology and natural science. Now, as I read that, I thought, what would we call these magi today? What would you call a person specializing in astrology <laughs> and astronomy and natural science. You would call them scientists, right? Do we have a bunch of magi out there today who say, listen to the science, listen to the magi? And I was thinking yesterday, I think it was, I was thinking about the number of times in the prophets in the Old Testament where they said that God would bring their magi to confusion. And so, don't be surprised if God brings our scientists into confusion. Well, that's a little side note. Let's read Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretively called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. When the shepherds came to see the child, where did they find the child? They found him in a manger. And when the Magi came, verse 11, Matthew 2, they entered the what? The house. So there has been a time interval between the shepherds coming and finding him where? In a manger because there was no room in the the inn to now Mary and Joseph have actually taken up residence in the town of Bethlehem, and the Magi come and see them. What Matthew is giving to us in this book is the genesis of Jesus Christ. We have seen the Davidic, Abrahamic descent, the earthly descent of Jesus Christ. That means that he is of the seed of Abraham, he would be a Jew, and he is of the seed of David, he would be a king. 
And He was the promised King of kings and Lord of lords. Then we have not only the Davidic Abrahamic genesis of Jesus Christ, we have the divine genesis of Jesus Christ. That is, like He mentioned to Mary in Luke, this holy child will be called the Son of God. Matthew words it this way, Emmanuel, God with us. And so what we know coming into this is that we actually have a God-man. God taking up human flesh, human personality, taking it unto Him, yet being divine, the Son of God in human flesh. That promise, King of kings and Lord of lords. And of course, because He was born, <clears throat> He was both conceived and born of a virgin, He is of the seed of the woman, just like Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 promised. And the aim of this divine <clears throat> King is to save His people from their sins. This is His aim. This is His purpose. This is His goal. He did not come to set up the earthly kingdom. He did not come to send prosperity on the earth. In fact, He didn't come to send peace. He came to send a what? A sword. He came to save people from their sins. And that means that there will be a people who are of the faith of Abraham. They will be as the stars of heaven. They will be born from above. And they, that faith will be their deliverance from their sins. They will be declared righteous in the sight of God. And from that point on, Jesus being on the throne and having a people, what is He doing like with us in this present time and age? He is delivering us, believers, from the ill effect and evil power of sin. And there is a power there, even though the dominion, the lordship over us has been snapped. Every circumstance of our life, I want to repeat that, every circumstance of our life, working together, is designed by God to deliver us from this evil power of sin, conforming us into the very image of Jesus Christ. That is the good that God has promised. All things work together for our good. There's no greater good than to be conformed into the image of His Son. And because of that conforming, we groan and await the final deliverance. The actual deliverance from the very presence of sin and death. We groan for the redemption of our what? Our bodies. That's where this sin nature resides. It resides, as it were, in our flesh. And it is a great trouble to us. And that's really the paradox for us is that we are both growing into the image of Christ and having this antagonist that resides in our flesh that is needling us all the time and causing us to be deceived and walk in ways that is not our heart. This is His aim. His aim is not as the charismatics proclaim to us to give you prosperity and every material blessing of this life. It's already ours, this material blessing, but it is yet to come. It is not to deliver us from the warfare of this life. Actually, the warfare is engaged upon our re regeneration. It is to conform us into His image, and that's exactly what the name of Jesus means. Jehovah, what? Saves. Saves. That's what His name means. Now, between the end of Matthew chapter 1 and the beginning of Matthew chapter 2, Jesus and His family, Joseph and Mary, have now settled 
in the town of Bethlehem. They have moved from the manger to the house. They have moved from the stable to a dwelling place. And this moving happened after the taxation that had come upon them, as we read in Luke chapter 2. This settling into the house happened after the visit of the shepherds. It actually happened eight days later after Jesus' own circumcision and being presented to the Lord. And Matthew chapter 2 actually happens after the purification of Mary, which would have been several weeks later according to the law. And Jesus' presentation to the Lord. These events in Matthew 2 would have happened after the blessing of Simeon. It would have happened after the blessing of Anna. But it would have happened prior to their final settlement in Nazareth. And you'll note at the end of Matthew chapter 2 that after they returned from Egypt, they came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. And so all that we have here is prior to the settling in in Nazareth, after the manger scene, after all these events that had occurred in Luke chapter 2, what we have here is the arrival of the Magi being led by the star. Now, of course, when we mention a star, I think that most of us, if we have seen it, it's a little dated now, most of us start thinking about the little drummer boy. And we start thinking about this great star that is in the heavens. We think about the star and the three wise men watching the star and then the star kind of somehow leading them to Bethlehem. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Bible says that the star, whatever it is, actually made two appearances. You'll notice here, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2. The Magi said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw, present tense, past tense, Past tense. He didn't, they didn't say we are seeing. Because folks, if they were seeing the star, Herod would not have to inquire when the star appeared. They could have just took him outside and said what? Look. They wouldn't have had to go to Herod to find out where this king was to be born. Because the star could have just taken them directly to Bethlehem, Right? They saw the star in the east. It appeared in the east, and somehow, some way, God, either through providential giving of wisdom, or through sometimes God will actually use the heathens' pronostications and to get them to do what He wants them to do. But they saw the star. They had an understanding of it, and they came and actually went to the nation Israel right to the capital, Jerusalem, to try to find out where this king was to be born. They had actually come to worship him. You'll notice again, as I mentioned in verse 7, Herod secretively called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star what? Appeared. That's again past tense. So what he wanted to know, whether he had already devised this plan or not, what he wanted to know was, okay, how many months ago was it? What time of the year was it when this star appeared? And of course we know, why did Herod want to know that? It wasn't because he had a great conversion. It wasn't because he was a good theologian. It's because he was wanting to destroy the king, the promised king. So he comes and he asks them, all right, I know you've been traveling for a while. When did this star appear? And of course they would have what? They would have told him. 
when that star appeared. Then in verses 9 and 10, <clears throat> what you have is the reappearance of the star. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen, past tense, in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Now look at verse 10. And lo and behold, when they saw the what? When they saw the star, it reappeared. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And so would you if you had been looking for something and the star had appeared and then disappeared and reappeared again. What is going on with these magi? Well, we don't know exactly how they came to understand about the star. As I mentioned before, perhaps they were familiar with the wisdom writings, and I use that in quote, of a man named Daniel. Now they're from the east, they're probably from toward where the Queen of Sheba came from. And you remember the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon, and Jesus would tell them, a greater than Solomon is here. But what did the Queen of Sheba do when she came to Solomon? She asked him hard questions, but she did something else. She, she gave him great goods, and part of those goods were incense and gold. And so here we have from the east, these people coming. Maybe the, the Lord communicated to them in some way, or maybe they were familiar with the writings of the Scripture. We just don't know. But listen to these two. Balaam himself said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the women, all, all the sons of Seth. So here, Balaam, remember he was a false prophet, wasn't he? Here's a false prophet writing good things. A star shall come forth from Jacob. Maybe they were familiar with that because of the Moab bites in their history, and they said, well, there's a star that's going to come forth. Here's an unusual star. This is how we translate that. They could have been <clears throat> familiar with the writings of Isaiah. Now let me read to you an extended reading here from Isaiah chapter 60. Listen to the prophet. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and dense gloom the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory shall appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried on the nurse's hip. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will tremble and be large with joy because the abundance of the sea, referring to the Gentiles, will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. Now listen to what Isaiah says. A multitude of camels will cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all these from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and will bear the good news of the praises of Yahweh. Now, I think, more than likely, the verses that I just read from Isaiah will be fulfilled in the millennium. But folks, we know there are many, many times in the Scripture where the Lord will give, as it were, a little down payment of a future promise. And if this is applying to these people from the east, from Midian, from Ephah, 
from Sheba, and they're bringing gold and frankincense. And what does it say? Matthew chapter 2 and verse 12. Excuse me, verse 11. At the end of that, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The east was very predominant for the production of incense. And so here they come, just like in the days of Solomon, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Here they're coming. There's a king born to the Jews. They're coming to worship him. They're bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh. And folks, here here is the wonderful thing here. These are Gentiles. And brethren, that's the point that Matthew's bringing out here. Surely who this baby is. But the commission of Christ says, go into all the what? The world. And what he's saying here is, the world represented by these magi. They're beginning to see the light of this king, and it has always been designed, as Isaiah says, that those who are in the sea, referring to Gentile people, will come to you. And the very first people to come were not the Jews. The shepherds did not come to worship, they came to see. Anna and Simeon proclaimed great joy. But it was the Gentile people who came to kiss the Son, to pay homage to the Son with gold and frankincense and myrrh. This was a hint, and I'm getting ahead of myself, this was a hint when Jesus said, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. And brethren, you are part of that Gentile people. You are part of those people that have been prophesied from days of old. You are the people who have, as it were, come out of the sea. You are the people that are on an exodus to the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we are a people who will return with Him when He sets up his, that earthly Davidic kingdom just like it's been promised in our Bibles. I trust that that warms your heart of the mercies and tenderness of our God. To be faithful to that and to proclaim that. And to see the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles that these people went through the wilderness and through the desert for the sole purpose of bowing their knee to the one who was born king of the Jews. And we're traveling through the barrenness of this life too to where the king of kings is at the very right hand of God. The Scripture foretold this coming King who will be a shepherd. You'll notice in verses 5 and 6 of our Scripture. It is in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When you read the word shepherd in your Bible, unless the context is specifically talking about like David being a shepherd out with the sheep, it is referring to the leaders of Israel. When God talks about Jesus being a shepherd, It's talking about him being a leader or a ruler, or could we make it this, a king. 
It is the king of that nation that God intended to shepherd his people, that earthly people of Israel. So when you read something like this, the Lord is my shepherd, you need to think that what David is saying, now David's a king, isn't he? David is saying that the Lord is his Lord. That the Lord is his king. That the Lord is his shepherd. And because the Lord is the Lord, and the Lord is the king over all, he has no lack. And that king will lead him like an earthly shepherd would lead him beside rivers of living water. I hope that didn't ruin Psalm 23 for you. <laughs> we tend to have fuzzy feelings about Jesus coming alongside of us and with a staff and kind of, now look at this water and all this. And you can get analogies of what proper leadership should look like. But David is saying that though I be a lord and a king, there is a lord over me and there is a king over me and he is my shepherd. This king is coming from Bethlehem. Do you recall what Bethlehem means? Beth refers to a house. Lahim refers to bread. It is the house of bread. Out of the house of bread will come the bread of life. Out of this city of Bethlehem would come a ruler. This ruler would shepherd his people. And he would overthrow the bondages and the terrors of men. He will lead them in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He will make them a Psalm 1 type of man. He will deliver them from the Psalm 2 noisy environment. He is the good shepherd. And a good ruler and a good king does not rule for his own sake. A good king lays down his life for his constituents, the people of his nation or of his kingdom. And Jesus promised, as I mentioned before, that there would be Jews who would come to Him. And there would be Gentiles that would come to Him. He would later say that many will come from the east and the west and the north and the south. Many will come and sit at My table. God has set His King upon His holy hill of Zion. And the Lord has declared the decree he has said to me, You are my son. This day I have begotten you. This ruler over all rulers, this king over all kings, this lord over all lords, did not grow up to become a king. He was born the king. Do we hear that? He was born a king whether Herod acknowledged it or not. <coughs> he was king in the manger. He was lord of lords in the manger. He was even Lord of Lords in the womb. Nobody makes him king. We don't make him Lord of our life. He is Lord of our life. Whether saved or, lo or lost, he's Lord. To say to a person, and I understand what we're trying to communicate with this, but to say to a person to make him king makes us over him. As if we have to acknowledge him to be king for him to be king. He is king. And he was born king. And the Magi recognized that. Look at verse 2. Where is he who has been born 
king of the Jews. He didn't become king at his resurrection. He didn't become king as he died on the cross. He wasn't king over all things while he walked on the earth. He was Lord from the beginning. The God-man, Jesus Christ. He, was, he is the promised Messiah. He is the promised Deliverer. God has set Him upon the holy hill of Zion. God has issued the word in Psalm 2, You are my Son. You're my King. And what does God tell to the nations and to the peoples? Kiss the Son. Everybody hear that? All the nations of the earth have gathered themselves together and against His Lord. All the nations of the earth are stirred up to come against Him. What is God's command? He's born King. He's born King in Zion. I have already declared the decree. This King is my Son. So kiss the Son. Bow down to Him. Not to make Him King, but to acknowledge Him as King. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God says there's going to come a day where you will know. You will know without a shadow of a doubt. You will know without question that this one born king is the king that I have chosen. And that day is the day that God begat Him. And that begatting refers to the day God raised the King of glory from the dead. What did Pilate write over Jesus' head? This is the King of the Jews. He's a Gentile, isn't he? He's not converted, but he's acknowledging he would not kiss the sun. He would not bow down to the sun because he was afraid he was going to lose his power and position. He chose the riches of the world and the glories of this kingdom instead of the humble Son of God. But he declared, What I have written, I have written. And that king of the Jews, who was born king of the Jews, born to be a revelation of light to the Gentiles, died. He died. How will we know for certainty that this one is the king? On the third day, the stone rolled away and the King of Glory walked out. And so Psalm 24 comes to pass. Who is this King of Glory? Who is this one entering into the heavenly Jerusalem? It's the Lord. The Lord is the King of Glory. So bow down to Him, not to make Him Lord or King, but to confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And folks, that arrival of the King shook Herod. Now Herod was a paranoid king anyway. And we don't have time to go into it, but Herod was a very much a ruthless king. This is the one that is called Herod the Great. 
We think he died around somewhere around 4 or 3 BC. Herod was extremely agitated about this news. It says in verse 3 that he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And we're not sure why the whole city was in an uproar. There is the possibility that maybe they were disturbed about this, <clears throat> that there was questioning going on among people's minds as the gossip went out into the city. Or it could have been that they were troubled with Herod, but for a different reason. Herod was ruthless and would take whatever actions was necessary. And they would have been afraid of what would happen to them on Herod's rage about this supposed born king of the Jews. But whatever the reason, they were troubled. And so Herod calls for the theologians of the day. Isn't it amazing that a lost theologian can actually have the right answer and not kiss the sun? That they would actually say, Rome is our king. We have no king but Rome, but Caesar. Here are these people. And they gave the right prophecy, didn't they? And they gave the right answer. But what they didn't do was this. They did what many people do in churches. They hear the truth and they walk away. Wouldn't you have thought that these Jewish religious leaders would have gone to Bethlehem? To try to find who? Wouldn't you have thought that? Wouldn't you have thought that they would have said, wow, we got to check this out. The shepherds did, didn't they? You would have thought that they would have taken their knowledge and it would have moved them to travel. You ready for this? Five miles. About five miles, depending on where they're at in the city. Even if they had to go by walking, the Magi had come hundreds of miles. It would not have been uncomfortable for them. They might have taken their air conditioning camels and go five miles, asked, is there anything unusual going on here in this city that we need to know about? Because the city would have known about it, wouldn't they? Wouldn't you think that they would have come and bowed to the baby, to the child? Wouldn't you think that they would have gone secretively to the Magi and said, when did this star appear? The Jews took no action to seek the one who fulfilled the promises of God. Herod sought, but with a different reason. He didn't come to worship. He was of the seed of the serpent. He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Herod feigned an interest in the Bible in order to carry out his ulterior motive. What was that motive? <clears throat> it was to kill the child. And you'll notice in chapter 2 of Matthew, verse 16, that when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and killed all the male children who were where? In Bethlehem and in the vicinity two years 
old and younger. Now what does that say about the age of the child? Well, it's safe to say, I think, that he probably wasn't yet two. Because Herod would have had some kind of what? Some kind of buffer, right, in his plans. It's also safe to say that he was at least months old. Long enough for them to take up residence, long enough for Mary's purification, long enough for the child to be out of the manger in a home there. But God would protect the child. And folks, our Lord, when He was on the cross, among other things, thought about this occasion. You know that Psalm 22 begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Psalm 22 ends with, it is finished. Psalm 22, many people say, is the holy of holies of the Psalms. And in that Psalm, the Lord prays. He's doing this silently. He prays to His Father and He says, You are He that took me out of the womb. You made me to hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from the womb. You are my God from my conception. God the Father took care of His King, didn't He? And folks, what happened is is that the wise men, or the magi, better, came and told Herod the chronology when they saw the star, when the star disappeared, when they came to the understanding, when they got all the material goods, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh together, when the magi got their train of camels, when they got permission to come, and they came and traveled through the desert, through the barren wilderness of this world, and came to Jerusalem. And Herod told them, he said, I want you to go, verse 8, and search very carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me so that I may too come and worship Him. So did the Magi tell Herod they had come to worship Him? Yes. And they heard the king. They're totally deceived. They heard the king, and they left. And lo and behold, the star reappeared. Now brethren, I don't think... that the star was a supernova in the sky. Supernovas, if you know anything about science, don't appear and disappear. A supernova is when a star explodes. And it becomes way brighter when it explodes and it ejects all this light and material and energy from it. And we actually have ways that we can measure that energy even here on earth. Supernovas don't appear and disappear. And supernovas don't come to the earth low enough to be able to guide them to a particular house. What is the star? Well, it would be brightness, would it not? What would be the star? More than likely, it was the sons of God. The stars of God. The angelic beings of God. 
And you remember when the angels appeared to the shepherds, it said a bright what? A bright light shone round about them. Here you would have had a bright light like a star that actually took them from Jerusalem to where? To Bethlehem. So the star appears, could have appeared right there at Bethlehem. They know to go to Bethlehem because of the prophecy. They're traveling five miles, this entourage of important people, magi or scientists. And they're there. But where in Bethlehem? The star comes right over the place. It says in verse 9, until it came and stood over where the child was. Was it over the house? Did it actually go into the house? Did it appear over the child's head? Don't what? They'll know. But we know this, that they came into the house, verse 11, and they saw Mary. Where Joseph is, we don't know. He could have been there, but they saw Mary. And immediately their eyes went to the what? Not the baby, but the, the child. And when they saw the child, folks, when they saw the child, involuntarily, they bowed. They fell to their knees. And brethren, when a lost sinner beholds the glory of God in the pages of his Bible and they behold Him, they bow. They become a learner follower of Jesus Christ. They fell to their knees as is only fitting and fulfilled part of Psalm 2 they kissed the Son and humbled themselves before His feet. They didn't come to hear a concert. They didn't come to hear worldly music. They didn't come to an air-conditioned environment. They didn't come to a place of padded pews and seats. They came for one reason. They wanted to see the child. And that's why we come. We want to see the child in the pages of our Bibles. Do you see Him? The Magi are the first recorded record of Gentiles kissing the Son, worshiping Him in reverence, as Psalm 2 says, with great joy. And Psalm 2 says, with discernment. They discerned the meaning of the star, did they not? They discerned where they needed to travel, did they not? They believed the word of the prophets in Bethlehem. They went to Bethlehem. And they discerned by watching the star where the child is. And they worshipped with joy and reverence and great discernment. Their illumined leading led them to Christ. The result was a heart of rejoicing that showed itself by the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. A joyful heart in Christ motivates us to give. 
even if it means I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you give your body as a living sacrifice. Psalm 10, Psalm 100 says, in the day of my power, Psalm 10, excuse me, in the day of my power, my people will be a willing sacrifice. It's amazing, isn't it, how all these prophecies just come together to be fulfilled in this. And the result that they saw was glory. They saw the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. They saw this babe full of grace and truth so that it would happen just as it is written, probably as a down payment. A multitude of camels will cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephrah, all those from Sheba will come and they will bring gold and frankincense and will bear good news of the praises of the Lord. Folks, the praise of the Lord is the baby. And they carried the praise of the Lord, that baby, the news of that baby. Could we word it this way? The good news of this baby. Back, verse 12, to their own country by another way. The first ethnic group to bow the knee was Gentiles. The first ethnic group to carry the gospel to all the world were Gentiles. And may God do the same in our own hearts and in our own lives. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? Well, where is he? He's at the right hand on the throne. And he's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I urge you in the name of Jesus to bow to Him. Because Jesus said, all those who will not have Me rule over them, destroy them. And be that Psalm 1 type of person. Let's pray.